with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And coming up later on in the hour, because it is the Friday edition, we have the panel with some hot topics. Bill Phillips and the panel will be in with that. Uh, but for, first off, to start today's show, a uh, little bit of technical difficulty this morning. So we will have, uh, well, this is Front Burner from CBC News, but it is Tuesday morning's edition. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Dennis. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm great. And I'm actually, I, you know, I'm, I'm ready to give you your show back now. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking it. It was uh, such a pleasure to listen to you these last couple of months. I uh, spent a lot of time walking up and down the rail path in Toronto with Ollie, and you were like one of my only adult companions during the day, so thank you for that. I appreciate that, and you can take back the host chair and deal with all the shenanigans. Uh, well, it is so great that uh, you're now part of our team, and I know like we'll be seeing... And hearing more from you, hopefully as a host and as a guest, I know that you're always up to like so many cool things. So, Josh, thank you so, so much. And uh, we'll talk soon. As cases of COVID-19 spike across the country, particularly in Ontario and Quebec, Parts of Canada are back in lockdown. The Quebec government says the situation is critical. So three regions, including Montreal and Quebec City, are heading to the highest level of alert. For Ottawa, Toronto and Peel, an end to indoor drinking and dining. Gyms are shuttered. So are casinos and movie theaters. And with the cold weather setting in, it's really tough to imagine how we may be able to return to normal, or at least more normal than this. But there are some developments. Health Canada has now approved and bought over 20 million rapid tests. And Donald Trump's COVID treatment is raising all these questions about the use of experimental drugs. So today, we'll be talking about how the testing and treatment of coronavirus has evolved since the first wave, and whether pending a vaccine, these new advances are a way back to a more regular life. We're going to be helped today by Dr. Isaac Bogosh, a physician and infectious disease expert in Toronto, and of course, a big friend of the pod. I'm Jamie Poisson. This is Frontburner, and it is great to be back. Hi, Isaac. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm very, very happy that you're my first interview back, though... I know that that also means that we're still in the middle of a pandemic. I think when I left five months ago, we were in a pretty strict lockdown, and here we are again, hey? Yeah, what's old is new. <laughs> it's terrible, but uh, <laughs> you know what? Like anything else, we'll get through it. Yes, and I want to talk to you about that today, how we might get through the next several months, in particular, pending a vaccine. So, of course, over the weekend, Ontario responded to a surge in cases by bringing back restrictions to Ottawa, Toronto, and the Peel region. All trends are going in the wrong direction. Left unchecked, we risk worst case scenarios, first seen in Italy and New York City. People will no longer be able to go inside restaurants or bars or gyms, movie theaters, casinos. Last week, Quebec announced similar shutdowns for hotspots like Montreal, Quebec City, and nearly every community along the St. Lawrence River. The situation has become critical. If we don't want our hospital to be submerged, we must act strongly right now. 
Uh, on some days, these provinces have reported about a thousand cases a day. And, and what do you think about the decision to lock down again? The first thing is that nobody wants a lockdown. They're terrible. They have no. tremendous health consequences, economic consequences, psychological consequences. Any of these lockdowns stink. And when cases are low, when you have low rates of transmission in a community, you can have focused, targeted interventions to keep those cases low. But once the number of cases in a community starts to rise, those focused and laser beam interventions no longer work anymore. And you're just left with fewer and fewer options to get the numbers of cases under control so that we avoid overwhelming our healthcare system. We have to avoid that at all costs. So unfortunately, case numbers rose to such a degree in parts of Ontario and in parts of Quebec where the options to get these under control were limited. And sadly, lockdowns are a last resort. So was it the right choice? It's a tough choice. But given the circumstances on the ground, it was the right choice. And you know what? As we're talking today, there are early indications that it's already starting to work in Quebec. Right. As you mentioned, these are such blunt tools to try and control the pandemic at this stage. Do you think that there's a failure on the part of the Ontario government and the Quebec government to properly manage these cases? And, and that's what got us to this place? Yeah, I certainly think that if we had acted in a manner more suitable in the summer where we could really target interventions on local outbreaks and boost lab capacity, boost contact tracing capacity, really hone in messaging and leadership. I think we probably could have avoided the scenario that we're in right now. But in the same breath, it's never too late to turn around when you're going down the wrong path and you just cannot have exponential growth of this infection in a community. We know what it leads to, and it's already starting to lead to a greater number of hospitalizations of people. today then about new advancements and whether these new advancements might help us get out of some of this. Can we start with therapeutics first? And of course, uh, Donald Trump has been talking about this a lot, talking about this uh, to anyone who will listen. I think this was a blessing from God that I caught it. This was a blessing in disguise. I caught it. I heard about this drug. I said, let me take it. It was my suggestion. I said, let me take it. And it was incredible the way it worked. Incredible. He, he's been talking about Regeneron in, in particular, which is an experimental drug that has not been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. It has not been approved here in Canada either, but he's called it unbelievable. These, I view these, and now they call them therapeutic, but to me it wasn't therapeutic. It just made me better, okay? I call that a cure. Is Regeneron something that Canadians might actually be treated with one day? What do you think about this drug? Yeah, I honestly, I don't really know because we don't actually have any data for this drug. And, you know, in all fairness, sure, there's promise. Of course, there's promise. And basically what this drug does, it's not really a drug per se, but it, it, it's it's an antibody type therapy. So basically, uh, when a virus gets into the body, you, your own immune cells create proteins that go and uh, latch on to that virus and recognize it and target that virus for elimination by the other parts of the immune system. So what this therapy does is it basically infuses those proteins that should latch onto the virus and target them for elimination by your own immune system. Smart idea. Similar drugs like that have been used in the past with some you know, moderate success. So there's no reason that this 
couldn't theoretically be beneficial in helping people with COVID-19 infections. But at the end of the day, too, you know, this is science by press release. We don't really have a ton of data available. There haven't been large-scale transparent clinical trials with the results reported in peer-reviewed medical literature. So a drug like this or a, a therapy like this Sure, it might have promise, but it still has to go through the same process that every other therapy has to go through, namely phase one, phase two, phase three, human clinical trials, evaluation by the medical and scientific community, evaluation by independent uh, bodies to see if the benefits truly outweigh the risk before it has approval to be used in, in, a, in a population. So very much at the experimental end of the spectrum, and I would say probably pretty far from widespread use. Why is it trial by press release right now? In brief, we've seen a lot of this throughout the course of this pandemic, and it's kind of obnoxious because many of us are seeing patients, and sometimes we get a press release, and you know, you're know you truly caring for people, and you need to make decisions in real time. And uh, let me give you an example with dexamethasone. So dexamethasone is another drug we use to treat COVID-19. It's actually pretty effective in helping reduce the risk of death in people who are pretty sick with COVID-19 who are hospitalized that are on oxygen therapy. Like they're sick enough that they're hospitalized and they need oxygen. So I remember- right. I was And we're using dexamethasone here in Canada. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, we're giving it out like Halloween candy. <laughs> but like the, uh, so I was on the wards working when that data was released. And it was first released by press release. You know, we had a, we saw all the news outlets say, hey, dexamethasone works by reducing death. Great, thanks. Like, show me the data. Like, you know, how significant is this? How did you design your studies? What were the results? The same thing goes with remdesivir. So remdesivir has gone through those clinical trials. It's published. It's freely available. Anyone can look at the data. And it's being used in many settings in the United States. And in Canada, we're using it as well. But we're really using it in the context of clinical trials. It's just that there's not a ton of this drug available globally. So we can use it. It's just a little harder to use, and we only really use it in the context of enrolling people into clinical trials at this point. And so dexamethasone, remdesivir, and Regeneron, these are all drugs that President Trump was given. And what you're saying is that dexamethasone and remdesivir have been used before. They're drugs that already existed. So you are you already have been able to have some data, uh, especially with dexamethasone, uh, which sort of calms the immune system. And then with Regeneron, it's a new drug. So we don't know anything about it. But before we move on to testing, overall, taken together, the drugs that we're using in Canada, dexamethasone, remdesivir sometimes, how effective have they been at treating coronavirus? Like how well are we doing here on the treatment front? Most of the treatments are really geared toward people who are sick, sick enough to be in hospital, sick enough that they require supplemental oxygen, or sick enough that they're in the intensive care unit. That's where most of these drugs are beneficial, and it's namely dexamethasone and remdesivir. The drugs that have been used to you know, mitigate symptoms or decrease the severity of infection in people who are on the milder end of the spectrum have not really panned out. And similar, the drugs that have been used to prevent infection in people who are exposed have not really panned out. Hmm. So our current toolbox really is focused on treating people on the more severe end of the spectrum and the drugs that we have like dexamethasone for example can reduce the likelihood of death that's pretty helpful Mm -hmm. and uh, remdesivir 
didn't significantly reduce the risk of death, but there was a there was a real trend towards that in, in the studies. But it, it did significantly reduce the length of hospital stay. So, like these are beneficial drugs. Like they're they're really helpful. Certainly, there's room for improvement. There's tons of room for innovation, but we're still waiting for those. That's segment one of Tuesday morning's front burner from CBC News. Segment number two coming up in a moment here on 93.1 CFIS FM. You're listening to After Nine. If you are a lover of old-time fiddle music, tune in to 93.1 CFIS-FM every Tuesday evenings. There will be newer pieces by original artists as well as traditional. You will hear polkas, waltzes, foxtrots, and many other toe-tapping pieces by fiddlers here in B.C. and across Canada. Fiddle Fest is hosted by AJ and brought to you by the B.C. old-time fiddlers, Prince George Branch One. I will keep you informed of upcoming events brought to you by the fiddlers. So join me, AJ, for Fiddle Fest on Tuesday evenings from 6 to 8. Four Rivers Co-op is a vital part of Prince George and is committed to helping important local causes. Applications are currently being taken for their community support fund, dedicated to providing up to $100,000 of financial assistance to community groups providing a necessary service that improves the quality of life in our area. For full details or to apply, click on the local link at fourriverscoop.crs. The Four Rivers Co-op Community Support Fund. Application deadline is October 30th. Hey everyone, my name is Chloe and I'm from Hobby Brew. Harvest season is ending and I bet your freezer is packed with exquisite fruit by now. You probably worked really hard for that fruit, so why not turn it into something delicious? And no, I'm not talking about pie people. Come see me at Hobby Brews where we can turn that gorgeous fruit into even better fruit wine. 25 pounds of fruit can get you up to 30 bottles of that delicious mouth-watering wine you've been thinking of. Hobby Brews, where we can make custom wine as unique as you. Visit us today on the corner of Ospica and Massey. Forecast from Environment Canada. Rain mixed with snow ending near noon, then a mix of sun and cloud. Wind from the northwest at 30, gusting to 50, a high of 6. Tonight, partly cloudy, wind up to 15K and a low of minus 1. For Saturday, cloudy, a 60% chance of flurries in the morning and early afternoon, a high of 4. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And now part two of Tuesday morning's front burner from CBC News. Let's talk about these rapid COVID tests and how helpful they might be. Health Canada has approved Canada's first rapid antigen COVID-19 test, and they've purchased 20.5 million tests. This is only part of the solution, say officials. I think um, every tool that we add to the toolbox in terms of options for testing takes pressure off a testing system in general. And, And how did you react when you heard that news? I thought it was just a a good step in the right direction. These are helpful tests. There's a couple of tests that have now been approved. Many of them are rapid tests, so that you can get the results in about 15 or 20 minutes. They're not a silver bullet, right? They don't solve all of our problems. But what they do is they really lower barriers to diagnostic testing. They improve access to diagnostic testing. They can be placed in regions, for example, that might not have the same degree of access. You can put them in, you know, higher risk communities or high, heavily impacted communities. You can place them in 
rural or remote or underserviced locations. You can put them in areas where, for example, you need a rapid answer to this test. So perhaps there might be some sectors of, of the economy, like uh, factories where, where we know outbreaks are common or in, or in long-term care facilities. They have a ton of potential, but they still require a swab of the, of the back of the nose. They still require a sample to be processed. You still need someone who's capable of getting that sample and processing that sample in the device. But you can get a rapid answer. And so you know, some people have said, oh, they might not be that helpful, or, and, but, but they, they will be. It helps some of our issues, but, but mm. not all. So, you know, I, I think it's a great step forward. I'm really happy we have access to them. And, and the idea here is that they can be processed in places like pharmacies or walk-in clinics, doctor's offices, stuff like that. Yeah. What these aren't are do-it-yourself-at-home tests. Mm-hmm. That's, this is not what this is. You know, that would be amazing, but we don't have that yet. What about bringing these tests to areas that are slammed, like Toronto, for example, where people are waiting hours for a test? There's a lot of different places where you could put this. I don't know if this is really going to shorten the lines that Mm. we're seeing. Obviously, when we're thinking about the tremendous need for diagnostic testing, a lot of the solutions to that are going to be boosting laboratory capacity, which is already being done. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, having better stewardship over who's getting the tests and the capacity to do those tests. Having okay. said that, these, these rapid tests are going to be very, very helpful. I just think they'll, they'll bring diagnostic testing to areas that are, that are in need that might not have access to current diagnostic testing sites or, or locations. So there's a lot of places where these tests will do good. Okay. I know that uh, Health Canada and I, I suppose the government uh, has been criticized for being slow on the uptake here with these rapid tests. MPs like Michelle Rempel have been quite vocal about this. The reality is that somebody has to wait in line for hours for tests right now and then might have to isolate for days, taking time away from work and family members. So it's not that easy. Yet people around the world have access to at-home testing or rapid testing, and nobody in Canada does. What do you make of that? This is something that it was approved months ago in the U.S., for example. Yeah, in all fairness, I, I try to take politics out of the equation and just look at how we go about our business in Canada. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied. I think Health Canada has done a good job. I think we also have to remember what this process is. And, and, you know, there's another pretty recent example that sort of sheds light on this. So a few months ago, there were serology tests. Everyone was talking about serology tests. In the United States, the FDA in the United States basically approved a ton of these serology tests and you know their their market was flooded with them. and then of course what happened was that most of those serology tests were junk and you couldn't really make sense of any of the results of what you know there were so many false positives there was a lot of false negatives like it was just unclear what to do with with these results and in fact the cdc even came out with a statement saying stop doing these serology tests don't make any meaningful decisions at an individual level based on your results. According to the CDC, less than half of those testing positive will truly have antibodies. The CDC went on to say the tests are not accurate enough to make important policy decisions. And, you know, Health Canada, for example, with with serology, took a much more cautious approach. Said, you know what, we are not going to approve every serologic test that comes through our front door. We're going to look at these and Mm -hmm. assess them, and we will take our time to ensure that Canadians have access to quality serologic tests. And we didn't get overrun with useless tests. I think the same is true for these rapid tests. There's a ton of products that are on the market or coming through the pipeline. And, you know, I think we're a little bit more conservative in Canada. And when it comes to something like this, I appreciate that speed is important, but that still means it has to be good enough. And, uh, yeah. and you don't want substandard garbage 
coming onto the market here in Canada. You know, you can't have political interference saying, approve this, we want this. Like, they have to do their job independently. Judging by what you just said, I think I might know your answer to this question, but you mentioned at-home tests before and how we don't have them here. They certainly do exist, uh, and there are experts, uh, experts at Harvard, for example, Michael Mina, who has been touting at-home tests, which work sort of like pregnancy tests. They actually are very accurate. They can achieve sensitivities in the high 90 percentile. The convenience of testing is a very important part of public health. If we have enough people who are frequently testing, then we have a very good shot at finding a lot of people who turn positive, say, in the first day that they're potentially transmitting virus. You know, why do you think we don't have those here? I think we may at some point have them here. And I think those tests have tremendous potential, right? If we're really thinking about a rapid point of care test that cheap, you know, cost a buck or two that will give you an answer in a couple of minutes. I think this is tremendous. And we Mm -hmm. can think about how these could be integrated into our daily routine. Of course, those tests may not be perfect. But again, do they really need to be perfect? Or they just need to be good enough? The goal with those tests is to answer the question, you know, am I contagious? Not do I have tiny shreds of virus genetic material in the back of my nose that I'm not at risk of transmitting to anyone? It's, am I contagious? Yes or no. So like those will answer the question, should I go into the office today? Yes or no. Should my kid go to school today? Yes or no. And, you know, people say, well, it's not exactly like a pregnancy test. Yeah, I get it. It's not exactly like a pregnancy test, but the pregnancy test is also not the definitive answer as well, right? If, If someone does a pregnancy test and the question is, should I go out and have, you know, three apple teenies tonight and the pregnancy test is positive, then the answer is no, I shouldn't go out and have three apple teenies tonight. I should probably speak with my primary care provider in the next couple of days right. to get a definitive pregnancy test. And then, right. and, and same with these rapid, you know, rapid COVID-19 tests. If, if, if the test is positive, we could think now and do the heavy lifting now to think about what protocols are necessary. How are we going to integrate these to make Canadians safer? So for example, Do you have them at school? Do you have them at work? And, you know, you do one before you go into work. Or -hmm. do you have them at home? How would you deal with a positive test? How would people be counseled? Where would people go for a confirmatory test? You know, I think we can do the heavy lifting now to recognize how we might want to integrate those into real-world Canadian settings. Because they probably are coming through the pipeline, and it's a good idea to be proactive and figure out how we're going to use them. Okay, well, it sounds to me, and just to end our conversation today, it sounds to me like the therapeutics, the drugs that we're using to treat coronavirus, and also the new testing advancements, rapid antigen tests, which are sooner than maybe at-home tests, but uh, these sort of rapid tests, you think that there are tools that can help us manage this, but really you're waiting for a vaccine. That's what you think will be the ticket to get us out of this tire fire. It feels like just a nightmare. (laughs) Tire fire, dumpster fire. We could think of a lot of different fires, but yes, totally. I, I totally think so. And I think we have to remember that there's probably very few silver bullets here, right? All of these innovations, the the rapid tests, the testing capacity, the therapeutics, we're watching science move quickly. But remember, it moves incrementally, right? There's very few 
home runs or slam dunks, right? It, it, this just moves us ahead bit by bit by bit. We're going to see incremental benefit, incremental safety, incremental help from these innovations in therapeutics and diagnostics. But I really do think that the vaccine, that that truly would be extraordinarily helpful in returning back to the time we remember before COVID-19. Okay. Uh, Isaac Bogosh, thank you so much. You have left me with a little bit of optimism. I also really enjoyed your many sports metaphors. And I think now I know that your drink of choice is an Appletini, it sounds like. Uh, maybe not mine, but perhaps <laughs> that was uh, uh, an example that hit close to home with someone very close to me. Okay, good to know. Um, okay, Isaac, thank you so much. We'll uh, talk to you soon, I'm sure. Have a great day. That's all for today. And while at-home rapid testing is still something on the horizon, according to the federal government, 2.5 million molecular rapid tests will arrive in Canada by New Year's Eve, and 8.5 million of the first approved rapid antigen tests are also expected by the end of this year. I'm Jamie Poisson, back in the host chair. Thanks so much for listening to FrontBurner, and talk to you tomorrow. That is Tuesday morning's Front Burner from CBC News. You can also catch the Front Burner on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Stick around, the Friday panel and your host, Bill Phillips, coming up in a moment here on 93.1 CFIS FM's After Nine. In an effort to acknowledge the tireless work of restaurants and food service to provide safe dining during the pandemic, the BC Restaurant and Food Services Association has launched the Stand Up for Service campaign. After dining in anywhere across BC, visit bcrfa.com and share your story of the person or business which helped make your experiences welcoming and unique while following the best practices to combat COVID-19. As more and more eating establishments reopen across the province, please remember to bring your good habits with you and be kind. Four Rivers Co-op is a vital part of Prince George and is committed to helping important local causes. Applications are currently being taken for their community support fund, dedicated to providing up to $100,000 of financial assistance to community groups providing a necessary service that improves the quality of life in our area. For full details or to apply, click on the local link at fourriverscoop.crs. The Four Rivers Co-op Community Support Fund. Application deadline is October 30th. First. Advanced registration for indoor walking at CN Centre is now available. Indoor walking is being offered Monday through Friday from 8.30 to 4 in one and a half hour blocks. The concourse will be closed for a half an hour between each block for cleaning and sanitation. Advanced registration is required to keep numbers within provincially mandated limits. To register for indoor walking at CN Centre, phone 311 or visit princegeorge.ca slash register. For more information on walking options, go to princegeorge.ca slash walk. Prince George entrepreneurs now have an opportunity to pitch their ideas to local business leaders. Titan's Den connects local successful business people with residents who have untested business proposals. Participants will be allowed to ask for a maximum of $4,000 for their undertaking. Local entrepreneurs interested in participating are asked to contact Alan Strowett at the city. Full details are available through the business and development link at princegeorge.ca. Titan's Den from the city of Prince George. October 29th at the Ramada. 
keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And good morning. I'm your host, Bill Phillips, on this snowy morning here in Prince George. Hope you have your winter tires on. And just to let everybody know that there's a snowfall warning for the Pine Pass and Highway 16 into Alberta. So if you're heading out of town, go south. We're back here with our regular panel uh, today. We have Tracy Calageros with us, Art Betke, Herb Martin, and Eric Allen. Um, we're just over a week away from the election now, and we had our, our one and only televised leaders debate this week. Uh, so for some, some comments on the, on the debate and the election so far, let's go to Tracy first. Well, uh, it was nice to see a debate where you could actually hear what people were saying for a change. There wasn't a whole lot of talking over each other, which I definitely appreciated. I'm not sure that I heard a whole lot in that debate that moved the needle or advanced the conversation in particular. Uh, I mean, objectively, the only one who made any sense on the stage to me sounded like Sonia. At least she was answering direct questions and, and offering some ideas. I I maintain that I have no idea why we're doing this right now. I think it's silliness and it's just anyone I'm talking to isn't really even paying attention mm-hmm. uh, Art uh, did you watch the debate and uh, and uh, what are your thoughts on the election so far I didn't watch the actual debate no I saw analysis afterwards and commentary on it uh, I kind of agree with uh, Tracy on this like why are we bothering um, it, it's a bad time to do it it's uh, just for political advantage and not for any necessary reason. Uh, the only thing I found rather disturbing, maybe even, was where uh, Corgan had to uh, confess to not being sufficiently aware of white privilege. Uh, this whole <laughs> idea of race being part of everything—you uh, you can't talk anything without being bringing up the race. Uh, and, you know, the, the, he really got slammed on that. Uh, Neil even wrote an editorial about it. And it seems to me that he just misspoke a little bit. Um, like he said, uh, when he talked to a non-white person, he didn't see color. Well, I think probably what he meant to see was say was he was very aware of them not being white, but it didn't matter. And that's the thing, you know, uh, that, that's my point of view, too. I know uh, if a person I'm talking to is not white, but it makes no difference to me. What matters is what they're saying and, and uh, what they believe and their character. That's what really counts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and Horgan clarified his position immediately after the, after the debate. Uh, uh, I think he's realized, or his handlers realized, that... Uh, he said uh, something that doesn't go over well these days. Uh, Herb, uh, what, what's your what's your take on on his take on uh, on on white privilege? And and I didn't I didn't think Andrew Wilkinson had a great answer on white privilege either. But uh, Horgan was the one that said that, that stuck his foot in it and said he was colorblind. So yeah, there there's a, there's a lot of emphasis on being uh, being woke uh, these days. Um, <laughs> Uh, and Horgan uh, was the one that famously said he was woke uh, before the last election. <laughs> and lit, wasn't it? And lit, yeah, he was woke and lit, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know, I guess that's the that's the political climate we're in, and uh, you've got to know how to say the right things these days. Um, uh, I think, look, I, I think everyone's heart's pretty much in the right place. 
um, if, if you say the right things or not. It, I guess it's important um, for a certain portion of the population, but I think a lot of people have a pretty good idea who these people are anyway. So, I don't know, it's, it's a, a bit of a lot of ado about nothing, in, in my mind anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, actions speak louder than words, and, um, you know, I, I think we have a, everyone's got a pretty good track record here on, on, the, on the leaders' uh, debate. So, yeah, and, and as, far, as far as the debate goes, there was no knockout punches. I mean, Wilkinson really needed to um, come up with something monumentous, um, but, um, uh, or momentous, I guess, but uh, he didn't. And, and uh, you know, so the, the election, I think, is drawing to its inevitable conclusion, which is going to be an NDP majority. Um, yeah, Wilkinson missed, missed an opportunity. Mm. Uh, apparently, uh, they were a little more feisty on uh, CKNW debate uh, yesterday, I think, which is regrettable because uh, nobody up here gets CKNW, so nobody listened to it uh, outside of the Lower Mainland. Uh, Eric, is there maybe a double standard here where, where Horgan gets a pass, but uh, Laurie Thronis has uh, stepped down as a candidate for likening uh, uh, free contraception to eugenics? Yeah, this, uh, you know, the race business and, and discussions of it, and comments where, you know, like the one with Horgan, uh, we had a debate there, we had three people in the debate, we had a number of different issues being discussed, and next thing you know, we're off on a sidetrack about some comment he made, uh, that not saying that it shouldn't be discussed, but what it does is it sidetracks you from other issues all the time, and it goes on all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing stopping us from sitting down with First Nations people and other people uh, that feel that they're being discriminated against and, and having a round table and, and some of the top people in the province sitting there and having some face-to-face discussions about the problems and how they're being dealt with and that type of thing, rather than have these little flags come up here and there on the news and everybody runs over and talks about that one and then it comes up over here and they run over there and talk about that one like we're always going in this circle uh, but we're not making any headway or not a, not a lot of headway anyway I mean if we if they want to discuss these things and then we should get into the history of it they, they discuss it at the United Nations and they discuss it on the world stage but we're not getting down to the meat and potatoes people who can sit at a table and discuss it and express their points of view on it that's what we need and uh, and we need uh, a little more um, thought going into our our uh, elections. Like this election now, with our friend Mr. Horgan, that is a farce. Nobody's saying it's a farce. He has the right to do what he did. And as a politician who's not concerned about anything else except getting elected, he did the right thing. And he'll probably get elected. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't give him any kudos from me. I mean, I'm not going to try to defend the Liberals if they weren't ready for this election, because they should have been. They had three years to get ready. But somebody like the Greens or something who were misled into thinking that they had an agreement and wouldn't go to election for a year were caught short. And now they have to scramble just to try to field the 87 candidates or something, which they can't do. I think they're around 75. And nobody knows what the hell the election's all about because we haven't had time. We've got the COVID going, we've got the U.S. election going, we've got, uh, you know, all kinds of sorts of kids trying to get in schools and all sorts of real serious issues. And we've got this bonehead 
calling the election in the middle of it all. And if people had any uh, real uh, sense of reality, we should vote them out. I, I think we switched to U.S. politics there with the bonehead. Uh, yeah. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> we should vote this guy out. We should vote the NDP out and Horgan just because they don't care about us or they wouldn't have done this. Yeah. Okay, and on that note, we'll take a break. Join the Prince George Chamber of Commerce for their Small Business Week series starting Monday. The virtual sessions include an economic update on Monday, a Women Initiative session Tuesday, a DER3 information session Thursday, and a government grant and subsidy update on Friday. For schedule times and registration, visit the events calendar at the Chamber's new website, the Prince George Chamber of Commerce Small Business Week series. The Prince George Chamber of Commerce Small Business Week series, starting Monday online, a presentation of Scotiabank. The perspectives of Canadians matter. Help us shed light on discrimination. Take five minutes to participate in Statistics Canada's Experiences of Discrimination crowdsource survey. Visit statcan.gc.ca participate and click the Participate Now button. The results will benefit people and communities across Canada. The new circulation area at the Prince George Public Library is now open. Physical distancing protocols are in place with a limit of 20 visitors at a time. Services are also currently limited to borrowing and dropping off library materials, and access is only available through the Civic Centre Rotunda. Be sure to check out the library's weekly programs, available online at pgpl.ca. That's your public library, now open for limited service from 10 to 6, Monday through Saturday in the Canada Game. Plaza. Forecast from Environment Canada. Rain mixed with snow ending near noon, then a mix of sun and cloud. Wind from the northwest at 30, gusting to 50, a high of 6. Tonight, partly cloudy, wind up to 15K and a low of minus 1. For Saturday, cloudy, a 60% chance of flurries in the morning and early afternoon, a high of 4. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Hello, I'm back and. I'm your host, Bill Phillips, and we're talking all things election today. Uh, there was an Angus, Angus Reid poll out this morning that uh, puts the NDP support at 49%, the Liberals at 33%, the Greens at 14 and other at 5%, and that's amongst decided voters. So once again, Tracy, you're kind of... You mentioned uh, a, a couple of times that you you don't know why. We're, well, we all said we don't really know why we're doing this. So I guess this is another one: is that why are we doing this if there really isn't a race? Yeah, the whole thing to me just feels like political opportunism um, in terms of the call. Uh, but then listening to some of the promises being made too, I mean, I, I have to hope that it's just being caught flat-footed and not having time to really think things through. I. I all of it just feels like it's very off the cuff. Um, you know, as a getting older federal liberal, I have heard a lot of speeches over the years and listening to Mr. Wilkinson talk about borrowing money and this being the right time to borrow and to make investments and that governments can borrow much more cheaply than individuals can. It was like reading one of uh, Pierre, or, uh, Justin Trudeau's speeches out of 2019 or even 2015. So it's, 2020 is a bizarre year. And it's like backwards day. We're hearing very strange things from very strange sources. And I, I just don't know that any of it makes a whole lot of sense to be distracting us. There are bigger issues afoot right now. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Art, uh, uh, do you think the, the polls will, will hold? Do you think we're headed for an NDP majority government, which the polls indicate right now? Oh, certainly we are, yes. That's, uh, 
pretty obvious. I don't think there's any way that, that can can go in, anywhere close to a minority. Somebody was saying it would be uh, poetic justice if it ended up being uh, NDP minority supported by the Greens again. <laughs> I don't know if the Greens would be too eager to sign that kind of a pledge this time around after the first one was broken. But yeah, I see it coming that way. And it's, uh, like Tracy said again, it, it, it's a bad time to hold an election. Uh, here we are when government is spending well beyond their means and they're promising to spend even more and more and tax us less, like, give me a break. Where's the reality here? <laughs> yeah, Herb, uh, yeah, the, you mentioned that uh, it look, looks like a, an NDP majority and, and the polls certainly carry that out. So uh, what do you think about uh, uh, whether we should have in this election or will, will we solve anything? Or is this the political gambit that Horgan is making and it's paying off? Uh, well, both. Uh, it's, it looks like it's going to pay off for Horgan. Um, but I think it is necessary, um, if if you listen to some of Horgan's um, uh, platform, I mean, he's talking about uh, deep changes in forestry uh, policy. Um, you know, that's, that would be welcome. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of people are, are looking for something along those lines. And um, uh, the local race with Mike Morris kind of indicates that. I mean, he's... Um, 8% in the lead, but with an 8% margin of error. So I think um, there are a lot of unhappy people uh, in this region uh, with the way things are going. And uh, and Mike is uh, potentially vulnerable. So there there is a reason for this election. And um, uh, if, if Horgan gets a mandate, um, I think people expect to see some changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I, uh, I talked to Mike Morris uh, a couple of times during the campaign, and it's interesting to talk about forestry and about how he's he could be vulnerable. His his view on forestry is probably, and I teased him about it. It's probably more in line with the green view on forestry. So it, it is interesting. Uh, but Eric, uh, we, we talked a little bit about local, so let's let's switch local. Eric, where do you see the uh, uh, the local races uh, shaping up? Is Mike Morris vulnerable in, in Prince George Mackenzie? Um, I don't think so, not really. The only way that that situation is going to change is if people decide that in order to save us from, you know, the big big bad wolf on the left and the big bad wolf on the right is to put the the sheep in the middle, which would be the Greens, and give them enough uh, seats that they can control these characters. Because if we don't, it doesn't matter. The liberals have done very little. I can't stand to see a liberal going around blaming the uh, NDP for the problems in the forest industry when we know in the 16 years they were in power, they're responsible for that. And yet they flat out there to try to blame the NDP for all the problems in the forestry. But, you know, I mean, that, that's just disingenuous politics. It's just flat out BS, and it just irritates the hell out of me. And I'm not going to support any party that keeps doing that. And and we've got an issue here with LNG, where Christie was talking about 15 or 20 LNG plants. Nobody even brings the subject up three years later. And uh, we've got one going in Kitimat, the one in, uh, in Port Edward left, and I'm not sure what's going on out there. We've got a situation at uh, Site C that, you know, uh, the Liberals put it into position so it would be on the point of no return. Horgan ran on, on stopping it. Then he went ahead and, and kept it going. Now it's a major disaster and a, and a worldwide embarrassment, and it could fall all to hell 
and now he's saying he's waiting for a report uh, to before he makes a decision. In other words, we're not going to talk about the big issues in this election because we don't want to talk about them. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going with the Greens and hope they get at least 10 seats. Okay, and on that note, we will uh, take a quick break and we come back and we'll, we'll talk about some of the Greens. iSpark invites First Nations, Métis Charter Communities, Friendship Centres, and other not-for-profit organizations serving Indigenous youth to apply to host a sport camp or an online coach leader development clinic. Camps and clinics would need to take place before the end of the year. Full details and application links are available at iSpark.ca. Host an Indigenous sport, physical activity, and recreation council's fall-winter camp or clinic. Application deadline is 5 p.m. Wednesday, October 21st. Tourism Prince George has a new look. From their website to social channels and a new color palette, check out their newly crowned destination and base camp to the north. The new site includes an interactive map, a robust directory for dining, and a dedicated page for staycations. Visit tourismpg.com to see for yourself and engage with Tourism Prince George by using the hashtags TakeOnPG and ExplorePrinceGeorge. With great links to local happenings and attractions, tourismpg.com. Base camp to the north. The Heart Pioneer Centre is open for takeout lunch. Call the centre for menu details and place your orders between 9 and 1 the day before. Your $6 lunch includes a soup or salad. And don't miss the centre's next turkey dinner, Friday, September the 25th. For just $8, you get turkey with all the trimmings, plus salad and dessert. For the Heart Pioneer Centre's takeout lunch, call 962-6712 between 9 and 1. That's 962-6712. Students who would like to study in Canada are facing uncertainty due to travel restrictions. Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada has responded with three new measures on post-secondary work permit eligibility. Students can now study online from abroad until April 30th with no time deduction from their work permit. Current students can complete their program online from abroad and multiple programs can be combined to qualify for a future work permit. Full details are available at post-secondary institution websites and through the immigration news link at canada.ca. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And I'm your host, Bill Phillips, and we've been talking all things election this morning. Um, we switched local. We said we'd talk a little bit about uh, the Greens. Um, uh, I mentioned I talked to Mike Morris the other day, and, and he jokingly said that Green candidate Mackenzie Kerr would make a good Liberal candidate. Uh, Tracy, you know Mackenzie pretty well. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about her? I, yeah, I've definitely gotten to know Mackenzie over the few years that I've been doing the federal running for the Liberals. Um, I think Mackenzie is a bright young woman with a broad interest in community, and she clearly has a desire to present herself for public service. So I, I don't think that you can ask for anything more in someone offering themselves up. Life experience is helpful, but as 2020 has shown us, trying to predict anything can be a challenge. So what difference does life experience really make in the old world? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the youth against experience. And, and, and Art uh, Mackenzie Kerr would be running up against uh, Shirley Bond, who who I've mentioned a couple of times could probably change party and still get elected. She's very popular. And, and so uh, what, do you th- what do you think will happen there? Oh, I definitely think Shirley is in. And uh, she's, um, well, let's say she has more life experience than I do, so way more than Mackenzie does. 
I think Mackenzie is a very nice young woman and uh, uh, quite bright and charismatic, uh, very likable. Uh, only thing is, uh, she did write a few columns in The Citizen a while back on, on the forestry issue, and uh, boy, from all my experience in that industry, I very much disagree with her on that, so... Yeah, I I can't remember the particulars right now, so I just remember that I disagreed. Mm-hmm. But then I pretty much always disagree with anybody running on green platforms. <laughs> there you go. You're just uh, disagreeable, Art. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am, yes. <laughs> Herb, uh, it, uh, staying with Prince, Prince George Fairmont, I guess, uh, um, the NDP have run, uh, are running Laura Parent, uh, another youth candidate. I think she's only 21. I, I, don't, I don't know if, uh, if you've uh, read anything about her or met her or know anything about her. Uh, met her. Uh, we, I talked to both uh, NDP candidates last week about uh, stopping uh, the use of glyphosate in our forests, mm-hmm. and uh, they were somewhat receptive. I think there's... Uh, Big, uh, uh, big powers that be behind the scenes that are stopping or, or maintaining that uh, that practice. But um, yeah, I think she's. It's, it's going to be a, a great experience for her. I don't think she's going to beat Shirley Bond. Um, but it's interesting that Mike Morris thought that Mackenzie Kerr would make a good Liberal, because I've always thought uh, Mike Morris would make a good Green candidate. <laughs> he, he's definitely out of step with the rest of the Liberals in terms of forestry. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was saying when I talked to them. Their their policies kind of aligned. Uh, absolutely, Eric. Uh, um, what are, what are your thoughts on that on that writing, uh, um, Prince George Vailmont, Where where that will go? Well, I mean, you know, having a popular person in there like Shirley Bond is uh, is pretty hard to beat. Uh, one would have thought that we're getting close to the point where some of these people. Uh, would not run, you know. We're getting too many career politics, two career politicians in government, mm-hmm. and and uh, it's really not. They're not really politicians. That's how they're in their living. And they just get elected and they go in there and uh, you know. Uh, and we're getting some a lot of these city municipalities too. Like I don't think it was the intent that we invite we uh, elect people for life. And how are we going to get new ideas in government if we keep reelecting? the older people, and especially under the party system, where you do what the party tells you. So we have to look at the, the uh, party, and, and the Green Party now has some innovative ideas that we're not going to get by reelecting the older people anymore. It's time, it's time for a change. And how in the hell is a young person in this uh, province ever going to get elected up against that sort of system? I mean, how do you get, I mean, I've been involved with trying to get political parties off the ground, and it's a tough job, and the Green parties are hardly making a bump, and, uh, you know, if they don't get support from the voters, then you may as well just put these people in and just leave them and say, don't bother us with politics anymore and give us a report once a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tracy, you, Bill, can I just jump in for a second? Yeah, One of the comments earlier was about Mackenzie being the right person, wrong party. I can't tell you how many times I have heard that statement, and I just think that it's really short-sighted. If she's the right person for you, then that's who you should vote for, regardless of what party. Mm-hmm. Uh, good point. I was going to go back to you anyways, but on, on a different question, uh, Eric brought up about uh, queer politicians. Uh, do you think maybe we should bring in some term limits? I don't have an issue with term limits. In fact, I think that 
it may have been quite useful, particularly with the way the demographics have broken down from boomers to Gen X to millennials. Um, essentially, what we're doing is passing over the Generation X leadership age period, sort of in that 40s and 50s, and we're, we've left the boomers in charge. And when you start to talk about generational differences, I can't think of bigger shifts between generations than if you look from the boomers to, say, Gen Z. Um, so, yeah, I think you need some term limits if, in fact, what we're going to do is simply put people into these jobs and allow them to put their feet up and do as they like for 30 years. Um, term limits could certainly help. And I, I, I don't know if you do that in a hard and fast way. It would really take some thinking because it would be a shame, too, to push someone out like a Shirley Bond who has committed her life to serving her community simply because she timed out. So I, I think there's a discussion on both sides of that. But I certainly think in this particular era given the way the size of the cohorts and the various demographics have broken down, that there has to be some way of moving people out when they are past their due date. Mm -hmm. Art, uh, what do you think? Is term limits a good idea? I can... I'm, well, I'm torn on that. Uh, because, uh, like Tracy said, you get somebody like Shirley, and uh, Shirley Bond, is, she's been there for so long, and... Uh, it's not that she's incompetent or anything, um, but then you you look at somebody like uh, Horgan. How long has he been a, in an MLA? Would his term be up by now, or does that change when he becomes premier? Is that a separate term? You know, when you argue things like that, and uh, boy, I don't know. Uh, term limits would it would depend on how long the term is, like three elections or. 12 years or, or what it is, uh, if, it's, if it's just a straight one term or two two elections or something, then I'm kind of against that. I think you should be able to go a little longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Especially one term wouldn't give you enough time to get it, even learn the job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's a good point. If you spend two terms as an MLA, uh, just a straight MLA, is it, and then run as a premier or party leader, it's, uh, it's a little different. Herb, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, going back to that so-called leaders' debate between uh, uh, Biden and uh, Trump, uh, both of them were well beyond their best before date, let's put it that way. So, you know, that's, um, that, that's, that's a little frightening and, and, and shows you know, what can possibly occur if, if, uh, if age is ignored. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a tough call. There's, uh, there's, there's something to be said for experience. Um, and there's something to be said for uh, new and fresh ideas. So, I don't know, in, in, uh, maybe it's best just to leave the, the electorate to make that decision um, rather than and, uh, artificially force some sort of mandate. Mm -hmm. Eric, uh, same question to you. Quick, we've got about 30 seconds. Well, I think with the way the news media now is, is fractured across the country and, and uh, you know, it's very hard to get a message out there that's, people can look at it and make a decision. And so the people who got the money have a better chance of getting their message out there. I think the system is in bad, bad shape when you really don't know what's going on out there. Uh, the young people don't stand a chance. And, uh, I mean, I'm talking from somebody who's, you know, you get any closer, to, I can't get any closer to 80 than I am. And, I'm, I'm, and I would never have said this 20 or 30 years ago, but I'm all out now in favor of getting more young people in there. And it's time for some of these older people to get out of the way. Yeah. And I'd like to see them do it voluntarily, but if they don't, then we should throw them out. 
There you go. Words to live by. And remember that advanced <laughs> polls are now open, and we will talk to you again next week. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita, with guest producer Neil Godbu of the Prince George Citizen. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.